Welcome to Seat Time, everybody, the online show for the off-road enthusiast. I'm your host, Brian Pierce, and I'm here to talk dirt bikes, off-road, and good times with you guys. Thank you for joining us. This evening, I'm here to talk with Mr. Jared Bolton about the Blackwater 100. It's going to be another great history lesson podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed our last one with Mr. Destry Abbott. If you haven't heard that yet, please go check that out. Great ways to support Seat Time if you'd like to help us just provide a little bit more greatness in the off-road world for everyone is you can go to Patreon at patreon.com slash seat time. You can go to seattime.co slash supports and you can go to fpmg.threadless.com if you'd like to purchase any of our shirts. We've been thinking about making more stickers. What do you think? Would you like some stickers? Maybe some koozies? All you got to do is let us know. Until then, enjoy the awesome. All right, as I stated, we'd be coming in with Mr. Jared Bolton to talk about the Blackwater 100, the, I guess, America's toughest race. There's probably some super slangy way that they would put it, but in the long run, the uh, the, the hard enduro or extreme enduro before we knew that enduros could be harder than they were because of timekeeping and manliness. Uh, but after that, I have to say, Mr. Jared Bolton, I've got a beer to open and I can't do it without... Letting, uh, letting go of my mind for a little bit because it is a bottle and it is not a can. So I'm going to do this, pour it into my probably too proper of a pint glass and, uh, and get to having a little sippy poo of this here fine beverage. But within that going, how are you doing, kind sir? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. You know, uh, this week we've just got back from Unadilla for GNCC and we're rolling right into another race. We got another race next weekend at uh, High Point Raceway, and this is probably my favorite race we do at High Point. It's just it's a DC Vet Homecoming. It's really cool, really laid back. We've got uh, GP race on Saturday, and then of course the motocross on Sunday. And uh, what what's cool about it being a vet race is, like I said, it's a little more laid back. And everybody's just kind of there for fun. It doesn't pay points to anything, and. Uh, been doing this. This would be the twenty seventh year that they've had this event. So goodness uh, gracious, real real excited. You know, roll on into it and been up there all week working on a GP track. We got really cool uh, six day style grass track, some good woods, and of course the motocross. So been doing good. That's awesome. So besides work, you know, like all these GNCCs and ATV motocrosses and things of that nature, you did some Loretta Lens. Uh, how, how did that treat you that, uh, that two, two, three weeks you had to put down at the ranch? Oh, it was good. You know, we always make the best of it. You know, obviously we're there to work. That's, that's what it comes down to. Those are long days. It's 12, 14, 16 hours at, at minimum, you know, and sometimes you might catch yourself in the middle of the night having, having to do something you just never know. But we make the best of it, you know, grill out a little bit and just generally hang out at the track. And then the week in between, we do a lot of, uh, we'll, you know, tube down the river and just kind of hang out. And actually this year, a bunch of us brought bikes and we did some riding in the woods. I uh, actually even got to ride a few laps on the track, which I'd never, other than when we were there for GNCC in the past, I'd never really ridden full laps on the track there. So that was pretty fun. And then did some dual sporting. And it, was, it was good. I bet you... Riding that motocross track during, you know, either right before or right after Loretta Lens is way different than it would be around the GNCC because that track had looks, right, I'm not there, but looks so much more prepped, um, obviously, around those times. So it probably feels much different to ride a bike on that track during Loretta Lens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and what's cool was uh, when we rode it, I believe that was 
actually that was Sunday after the race, I think. I think it was Sunday. So it was the bike guys had just moved out, and there were only a couple of ATV guys that were already there. So it was really cool that they had already kind of sealed in everything from the week before and got it real pristine before they like fully prepped it for the quads. So it's pretty cool. Neat, man. Neat. Well, the, you know, it, it's been a long time since you and I have chatted dirt bikes. We obviously, you know, we have our little, uh, little group text that we play with behind the scenes so we can talk dirt bikes and just kind of be, uh, be the internet morons that we are, uh, within our own, within our own, uh, walled garden, if you will. But one of the things that I've always wanted to do is learn more about the Blackwater 100. That is just one of those events that growing up, you know, I was born in 79, been riding since I was five. Um, I never got a chance to really race any GNCCs, but having gone to a couple national enduros and really kind of trying to follow the scene as much as I could as a, you know, as like an eight to 10 year old who couldn't really purchase his own magazine subscriptions at the time, I, I knew of the Blackwater 100, but it was just hard to really get a lot of knowledge on it and so as i've gotten older i've really wanted to hear more stories and i feel like there are other people out there that would that would want to hear more about the blackwater 100 and more riders that were just kind of enamored with that really took on this toughest race in america that it was kind of the original extreme enduro before there was really such a thing as an extreme enduro um and so i came to you going hey who do you think that person would be to talk to and you're like uh duh it would be me and I was like, well, okay, let's get ourselves a, a microphone and a good time, a couple beers, and let's talk about the Blackwater 100. So, here we are. How prepared are you? Oh, oh, I'm pretty prepared. You know, it's funny, since we first talked about it, I've actually been back to Davis. Uh, I've actually been twice since we first, like, kind of hinted around it. I went once on the dual sport, and then after the Bud's Creek National, we, we stopped and just kind of rode around a little bit and everything. So, I've actually been back to davis i've been watching the videos again uh been looking at some old programs so i'm up to speed that's awesome dude and and you know i i kind of like want to be the edu you know the 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 learner here right like i i, I understand that i'm going to be asking the dumb questions but at the same time like i'm okay with that because i want you to bring me the knowledge and i hope that what we you know what at, by the end of this there are so many people that have learned so much more about the blackwater 100 that they never even knew they didn't think they would might want to know Right. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of it, where it we, I want to so head far. with this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it even goes so far beyond what I knew. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I, I was never there. But through the years, I, I remember watching the videos as a kid. I remember reading stuff in magazines. And obviously, since I've been been around the GNCCs now, I've gotten to know a lot of people who are there and some of their firsthand stories. are It's absolutely incredible. Mm. Uh, yeah, it would have been nuts to, and, and one of the things that I'm going to, we'll get to later is the Highway 93 River Crossing. I have a feeling that that's, uh, that's something that we could probably, that we'll be able to get tons and tons of stories on from you. But so, let, let's go back to how the Blackwater 100 started. So from, from some of the research that I did and some of the questions that I've asked, we're looking about mid-70s, maybe around 75. There's a preacher in Davis, West Virginia that was trying to figure out a way to bring more people, which in turn would be more money into their small town in West Virginia, and was like, hey, maybe we'll put on some kind of race, some kind of event. Let's do the dirt bikes, you know, because motocross is probably starting to grow a lot. Goes to uh, Big big Coombs, right? Big Davy Coombs. And they come up, however, with what became the Blackwater 100. So where in that am I wrong? But then also, too, where do we fill in a lot of the pieces of how it kind of came together to become, you know, a 100-mile toughest race in America? 
Well, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. And the way this actually worked was this, this preacher actually raced. He actually came to one of Big Dave's motocross races, realized that it'd be a good fit for his town to have something, you know, he wanted to bring people. And, you know, if you've never been there, it's actually a, a really cool small town. And uh, so he knew that. He wanted people to come to it. So basically he came to Big Dave and said, hey, let's do a race. So when you look at the history books and everything, the, the first Blackwater 100 was 1975. But what's actually interesting was the first race there was actually a year before, and they did it outside of town. It was like on the other side of town, on the other side of Route 93, and it was more of like a basically a traditional hair scramble type race. It wasn't the Blackwater 100. So that was kind of the early beginnings of it, and then they kind of sat down, they watched On Any Sunday, and watching the lake, <laughs> watching we the need to make this Grand bigger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And watching the Elsinore Grand Prix, and they realized, hey, let's just do that. And that's exactly the town was good with it, and uh, they kind of came together, and it basically became a whole festival. If you ever look at any of the old programs, everything is it's the Alpine Festival, and that was their basically their street their street festival, if you want to call it that. And the Blackwater was like that's the. Uh, coup de gras of the entire festival wow so it all so it was kind of like their their type of bike week except the only part of the bikes was the end of it yeah absolutely and <laughs> you know of course it, it ended up being what it was but it you know it was kind of like that from the get-go you know, big dave went there and he rode around and he checked the place out and not only did he realize hey this is a really cool place but we can make a heck of a race here that only the best riders and the best machines are going to be able to handle yeah, and do you know if the idea was to be so iconic? And and obviously at the time they weren't using that word in their mind, like wow, we're gonna make an iconic event. But in the sense of like when, do you know if like Big Dave's intentions were to be like you know just like with Last Man Standing, right? Red Bull's like we want last, we want one person to finish, right? The last man. Like was it kind of his intention to create something that if you made one lap, you felt pride? Oh, I, absolutely. That was the you know the full intention of the get go was to make something tough, to make something that was for the, the top tier of people. And uh, did he really expect it to be what it eventually became? I'm not. I'm not certain. But I know that was the that was the whole idea from the get go was to make it as difficult as possible. That's crazy. And so if we think back to the '70s like that. In the you know seventy five like I've heard you know I've, I've obviously talked with my father a lot and he he grew up race uh, he raced a lot of national enduros or enduros right they didn't have too much national at the time but you know he he can tell me about how much more grueling they were right and, and how uh, how much longer they were and more man type of races so during the seventies do we feel that this was the norm, right? That people were coming and they're like, oh, it's 100 miles, that's cool, it's going to be really tough, whatever. Or were all of these people like what we're seeing today in the extreme enduro enthusiast where it's people who just want to challenge themselves? I'd say it was actually probably a mix of that. I, you know, a lot of the guys, and especially the guys that were there at the beginning, you know, the uh, Kevin Lavoie was the first, first winner. I think he won it like three of the first four years. And, you know, he was a six days competitor, you know, very strong enduro rider and uh, guys like that. They, you know, they expected, hey, this is just this is part of it. This is another race that's tough and we're used to this kind of thing. But at the same time, I think you had those guys coming in 
saying, hey, I just want to finish this thing. Wow. That's that's awesome because I feel like we like now that we do have what is this growing extreme enduro hard enduro kind of uh, genre right this kind of newer breed of enduro that that's a lot of the same mindset you know that there's people like myself that if I had the time and trained for TKO it wouldn't be let's see how I do it would be because I had a goal right I knew I wanted to maybe try to qualify for Sunday right like I feel like I'm good enough that if I focused I could get to that point but then there are other people that are like you know what. Um, I finished one lap last year. I want to try to make two this year. Or I finished the whole thing but missed the cutoff by three minutes. So I want to come back and try to do that. So I feel like we are, we still even see that kind of gamut of, of riders, which is kind of cool to hear, right? That that I guess the uh, the, the internal clocks, right? The internal clicking, the clicking, the way we kind of work uh, hasn't really changed much for us crazy ass dirt bike riders. No, not not at all. I think very much of that is, is still around and you know obviously these days for an average you know an average race is a lot more tame down than it used to be it's and you know and honestly there's so many people anymore that it's more tame than it was 10 years ago yeah, but it's still deep down everybody strives for that hey i just i've got this certain goal and that's what i want to do right all right well let's so uh pronounce the name again for the first winner what was kevin is Kevin Lavoy. Kevin Lavoy. Okay, so yeah, where where so he's been doing ISDE, he's been doing all those kinds of stuff. Like, is this how does he find out about this event? Right, like how do how does is Big Dave at this point, like in the mid seventies, like such a name in the promoting world that he's kind of got like a plethora of guys to reach out to, or did just from the get go this event just start making a name for itself that people just started kind of like you know by year two they were already like pulling in people they wouldn't have expected. I definitely say that it was uh, kind of from the get-go. Everybody wanted to try this Grand Prix style. You know, everybody had seen on any Sunday at that point. They'd seen how cool the Elsinore Grand Prix was, but they wanted to give something like that a shot without going all the way to California. <laughs> you know, obviously, Kevin Lavoy, I believe he was from Massachusetts, actually. So he was from the New England area, and uh, so obviously that West Virginia is a lot closer than going to California. So I think that's really what that was the draw for guys like that. Right. I like that. Okay, so we kind of how from what you've seen looking through the programs and watching the videos and stuff like that like where do we see do we see any big changes, right? It kind of like like true evolution in the event like if it was like around 5 years where it's like wow this thing sold out in, you know, like and they they had to turn riders away or they made it, it became more tough, right? Like, or, you know, was there any like definitive evolution that you could see looking kind of like back to the history of this thing? Well, it, it's kind of funny when, when you look in the programs and you look at the maps, generally year to year to year, the, the map really doesn't change a little bit. They do some different sections and some years they go out a little, a little further out into the, to the mud bogs and all of that stuff. And some years they'd cross the river a little further up. So it really, I think course wise, it never really, it never really changed a whole lot. Uh, the later years when things were sort of getting real big and it was getting a little crazy, they ended up taking out the Route 93 crossing, and that was, uh, you know, it had a lot to do with there being so many people there, and it kind of became a danger. But over the years, it's it's a lot of the. It remained the same, and even though the bikes got better, you know, there was a lot of growth in the machinery in that time, the course itself never really changed a whole lot. So it's a real testament to those early guys, just how, how gnarly they really were. 
<laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So we saw riders, right? Like Scott Summers. I believe Scott Summers won this event twice, right? Like, like um, in, in your research, like, you know, who are some of the other big names that we saw? Like a Scott Summers, right? Like that has, that that has kind of come out to this event and been like, I want to, you know, I want to, to get a win here. Well, when, when you look back through the history books, obviously pretty much anybody, any name stands out as a winner, they're pretty well-known names. Even even Kevin Lavoie, like I mentioned, he was a six days guy back in the day. And uh, I forget exactly who the second winner was, but I want to say it was Frank Gallo. And he was, you know, kind of in the same boat. He was another real solid enduro and early GNCC guy. But then when you start getting into the 80s, uh, actually the 1980 winner was John Ayers, who now owns Moto Tees, Gear Racewear, all of that stuff. Ah. You know, John was a John was a pretty accomplished racer in, in his day, and then as you kind of as you kind of progress, you know, there's other names. You know, Jeff Fredette won it one year, and uh, Terry Cunningham, obviously Ed Lojack, and uh, Mark Hyde, of course. Mark Hyde won it more than anybody. At, yeah, this, uh, he's got like four what four four? Yeah, yeah, four times. And it's it's funny when you really watch that stuff. Mark talks about how it basically Blackwater suited his style because he was more smart and more calculated than just going wide open all the time. Right. Right. And then uh what was the 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 one winner was it uh Norton, Tommy Norton? Like he was uh, oh, yeah. the, the the mass hole. He called himself yeah. the mass hole. Um, Tommy Norton and I, and Team I, Fuck You. I love this. So I got a quote from uh, an interview. It said, I learned from racing our local hair scrambles. When you come to big mud holes, you head right toward the spectators because they're always standing on solid ground. That's and exactly I was like right. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Where has that quote been all my life, right? You know. <laughs> oh come on, I, I learned that when I was like fifteen. Well, I didn't grow up in the mud, Broski. I'm a. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, I know. like if you and I would have met as teenagers, I'd have kicked your ass in the pine woods, and you'd have kicked my ass in the mud. Like that's just yeah. because of like where we grew up, right? Like we didn't have mud holes, and if we did, the National Forest Service shut us down. Um, so it was just like, holy crap, that makes so much sense. But yeah, to your point, like it, just trying to be that much, I guess, more intelligent about how you were to attack, right? Some of the, the some of the obstacles in this case, because what we see in the hard enduros right now is so stinking gnarly. Uh, but at the same time, what these guys were riding was probably to them at that same level of quote unquote gnar, right? Like, oh, I, I mean, absolutely. When you obviously the video speaks for itself on a lot of it. When you watch them come to a river crossing and and actually when you watch the videos tommy norton was would always get off he would get off and he'd push his bike to the river crossings because those river crossings had all that all that rock on the bottom and they're all you know rounded off and slick and the water's deep i mean it's up it's up well over the axles on the tires i mean it's those those water crossings were no joke and you watch the guys real calculated and then when they get into the rocks and the mud, it's just it's real smooth, just taking their time. That you don't really ever see anybody really bonsai anything on there until they get onto the, you know, some of the faster roads. And actually, what's interesting is, you know, people kind of tend to complain when you send them on a faster section of trail these days. But if you've ever if you ever really pay attention to the old Blackwater videos, when they went through that first river crossing, went up the power line on the other side, that power line was basically you're running up the power line for a mile, probably mile and a half, and it's, it's as wide as a road. 
it's yeah, it's wide open, and then you get back in the woods. I've actually seen some some of the old helmet cam. It's like when it went off that power line, went back in the woods. It's a jeep trail for a while before you get into some thicker woods. So it's not like these days when we end up on some faster stuff. It's not like that's something new that we're just doing now. It's always been that way. Right. I love that you said helmet cams from back then. Like this event stopped in '93. So like a helmet cam from back then would be what like a VHS camcorder duct taped to the helmet. Yeah, pretty much. And then, uh, <laughs> depending on even the first helmet cam I remember wearing like 15 years ago, you still had to have a backpack and everything to, to carry everything in. So I'm sure that was probably a full blown backpack. And if you ever really pay attention, the guy wearing the helmet cam, he, he's not really racing. He's actually just rotting wearing the helmet cam. Cause what I picked that up a long time ago where when they'd get to the punch, you know, the old school where you had the card on the handlebars and you'd stop and they'd punch the hole in it. Right. When he'd get to the punch, they'd just wave him on through. He just kept going. He's like, bro, I'm just getting footage. There's yeah. no way I'm trying to go fast with 50 pounds of helmet cam. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so one of the things that I kind of took away from this too, like when I was kind of like reading around and learning things is like, this is where mud fleas came from, like the term mud fleas, right? Yeah, absolutely, and it's actually, it's not just Blackboard, but it's specifically the Route 93 crossing is where that came from. Yeah, because this is where, like, everybody at Highway 93, this is where, like, everybody powwowed, right? I mean, it was kind of, because that was, if I can remember correctly, that was very close, if not at the finish, and as you're uh, coming back into town-ish. It, it's a little ways out, but it's still close enough that you could shoot across the campground and across some open land and be there and, or just go up the road you know just have your buddy drive you up the road and drop you off because you know you shouldn't be most of them probably shouldn't be driving in the condition they were in oh but it's the 70s yeah it's awesome <laughs> i'm sure it was a good time so what do, do you think from what you've seen now obviously uh, i've seen a ton of pictures and you've seen some muddy dudes who do the mud fleas of the 70s and 80s compare to the mud fleas of today oh it's exactly the same you know it's real funny (laughs) when we do the snowshoe gncc i I don't go to the big mud hole there that's howard's hole i don't go to howard's hole very often but when i do i mean it is exactly the same as blackwater it's just wall-to-wall people and the riders just kind of pick their way through and if the if you get stuck they're more than willing to help you out the only thing different now is there's less mullets That's such a shame. Uh, keyword less. I didn't say there were none. Oh, okay. We need. That. I think next year when you go, what we need is we need like, like now that we have uh, you know swipeable stuff, the, the the galleries on Instagram. Like we need a daily ten pictures of mullets. Like for oh yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. No, I think that would be epic. That would be fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Well, well, we're charging you with that for next year. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll get right on it. So. Tommy Norton, again, talking about Highway 93, he was talking about how there was one year, well, the year that he won was the first year that he had gone there, um, was, you know, kind of shot off of the ledge into the river, uh, you know, off the embankment and trying to come up. And he was talking about how, you know, once he learned, he's like, what you need to do is if you're not, like, you need to act like you're going to send it. He's like, if the mud fleas even suspect that you're not trying your hardest and you jack it up and like roll back down the hill they're not going to help you but if they're like super entertained and they feel like you just gave it your all but you wrecked like for them that 
when you get up, your bike's like at the top, like ready to go and ready, you know, and running for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's kind of funny too. Even even if you gave it a crappy try, you know, if you, if you tried it two, three, yeah, probably four times, they'd eventually, you know, be like, okay, let's help this guy. So how do you think the three wheelers and four wheelers handled this? Because I think the three wheelers, they started three wheelers like like eighty three something like that. Somewhere in the yeah, 80s. it would have been it would have been eighty three. They kind of had a, a few rounds, and then eighty four. It was part of the actual series. <laughs> it those guys, you know, I I ride around on a utility quad laying out the tracks, and I, I don't have a whole lot of experience riding around on a on a race quad per se, but those guys back then like. There's some gnarly dudes who have rode those old 250Rs and everything, you know, that were basically, they were the Honda frames with the two-stroke, two fifty two stroke motor crammed in them. Like, that's, it's pretty gnarly. And, you know, some of those, a lot of those guys are still around. I mean, one of the guys that works with us at the GNCCs is Mike Holbert. And he, he's a guy, if you ever, if you're ever at a GNCC and you see a guy riding around on a bike with an open face helmet filming for Racer TV, that's Mike Holbert. And Mike raced quads back in the day, and he was actually, like, one of the first guys to be really good on a quad when they first came out. And uh, that that guy's gnarly. Like, and he, he even says now, you know, he, he wouldn't ride one again. <laughs> he, he won't do it again. <laughs> the way, like, he wouldn't ride, he wouldn't race a quad again, or he wouldn't do what is the Blackwater 100 on a quad again? Oh, he, he just wouldn't ride a quad again. Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like i need my two wheels and that's it yeah exactly <laughs> i think it's awesome man so like do during my research it's just kind of like the pictures um looking at the old bikes looking at the old gear um it just kind of blows my away i think as well you, you kind of like hit the nail on the head with mullets right like the fact that just in the just the sense that you know how it just was such a different time um, than, than where we're at right now but so like within yourself like looking through some of the videos and some of the pictures like what are some of the things that really called out to you um, for for what you were seeing well a lot of the route 93 footage that that's some of the stuff that's some of the best motorcycle video stuff that's ever been recorded in my opinion not just because the dudes like hitting it wide open and flying off their bikes up the bank you know not just because of that but like just watching some of the people in the background, like there's one, I, I can think of this one dude that's just like standing there and it, he's just, he's into it. And he's just like flailing his arm around in a circle, you know, just windmilling his arm, like go, go, go. And he's got this nice stringy, like dingy looking mullet. <laughs> that guy's probably like one of my favorites to find in there. And then that, and then there's another one, one of the quad races a guy goes out to help somebody stuck in the river. They're like hung up on a rock, you know, just spinning. And this guy walks out and he tries to set his beer can on the fender to push this guy out. And then he like, he has that moment where he's like, Oh yeah, what am I doing? And just tosses it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm going to set my beer down right here in the middle of the Creek and help this guy. And it's like, wait a minute. Shit. This I'm putting it on the guy I'm about to help. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, he tosses it and, you know, figure, well, it, it, he must have been done with it. <laughs> so the technology back then, too, was such a 
different animal, right? Like, I mean, you could, I would imagine you could just as easily, you know, have a bike that's not running from a rock hitting some smaller part of the bike. And I would say, uh, you could have the same thing happen now, but I feel like our bikes were a ton more bulletproof than they were, you know, back when all this started and going into the eighties and stuff like that. Excuse me. So watching some of that footage, when, when, you know, when bikes are, you know, people are on the side of the trail and bikes are broken and stuff like what were, could you like tell like what might have been like a big factor in, in maintenance and bikes dying? Yeah. I mean, when, when you watch it, a lot of it's on the exit of the river crossings and it's just the simple fact that they didn't waterproof their, some people didn't waterproof their bikes real good. So you're watching them. Some of them are the same ones that you watch them tip over in the river. And you, you know, you just look at it and think, oh yeah, that, that piston's not going to push that water out of there. So, right. You know, and then you, next thing you see is you see this clip with somebody, their bike flipped over on the back and they're, you know, pumping the kickstarter, trying to get the, trying to get water out of there. And it's, uh, that's a lot of it. It's just simply just sucking in water was probably the biggest issue anybody had there mechanically. And then of course, you know, you get in the rocks, and that was a time before everybody ran mooses and everything. So, a lot of flat tires, and I imagine there's probably a lot of tires that just completely came off the rim. The next thing you know, you're beating your rim off the rocks, and then you're breaking spokes and everything. So, I imagine that's the kind of stuff that's going on. Is it fun for anybody? Yeah, I don't know, man. So I'm trying to think think through a lot of this and like right now I think I would prefer knowing that the Blackwater 100 right like water right there was a lot of water I mean one of the big things you know looking at one of the covers 100 miles of mud bogs quicksand and poisonous snakes I'm kind of like you know like why would I go do that like I'd rather go do the, the Tennessee knockout you know or try like last dog standing or one of those other you know crazy events where there's not quicksand and not water and mud bogs and they're probably poisonous snakes. I just don't see them as much. Yeah, I mean, there's snakes everywhere. I, 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 there was a rattlesnake, a couple of, there's been rattlesnakes at races before and stuff. And we usually get them away from where people are. And they sometimes don't like it, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that that's, that's part of it. But, you know, obviously it's black water, you know, it, even the name itself, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's tough. And when you really look at, like I said, you know, I've mentioned looking at some of the maps and it's like they started on the road, obviously they started on Main Street and they went down and they banged a right and they went through a creek right off the start. And then you went a few miles and you come down, you went down that power line and you went through the river. You got that big river crossing, and then you went a little ways, and then you've got like two, two more river crossings way out, further out in the woods, and then there's all those mud bogs and everything, which is just you know, in that valley, it's all that low land and it's just swamp. And then you go from there, and you get to the Route 93 river crossing. Well, that creek you start, you you crossed off the start, you've got to go back across that to get back into town. Right. So there's all those water crossings, and then that's on top of you know standing water in places it, it just stands so it's it's definitely a lot a lot of water mm. yeah a lot of water all right so in your research and all the things that you've tried to look up what stories have you found what what gems have you heard either talking to different writers that have done it or just reading through different stories and found some good events or quotes from people 
Oh, you know, some of them I, I actually my favorite I I, I can't share because it's, it's, it's pretty bad, but it's it's a great story. I will say that. But then you know, it's just some of the stuff. You know, guys talking about you're just riding along and there's just you you get trunk chicks flashing you and that kind of stuff, and then same stuff with. Uh, just simply making it through everything, you know, some of their stories about, oh, I, I tumbled my bike down this and then I got it up and got it going, but it took six guys to push it up the side of this hill. I tumbled it off of and stuff like that is awesome. <laughs> I would agree. I've had to, I've had to have people help me get my upside down Husqvarna out of a tree. Uh, that was pretty horrible. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like fun. It was, uh, I blame my dad. I blame my dad. But okay, so we got Scott Summers would be somebody that would be great to talk to. Tommy Norton, uh, Kevin Levine, Levine, Lavoy, Lavoy. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't hear well. That's yeah, all right. I don't either. Huh? What? Who? Ha? Uh, Mark Hyde, obviously, four-time winner. So, wh- who do you think would be some other people that we should contact so that we could get some obviously Blackwater One Hundred stories? But then, obviously, these people that are winning these things or that have these great stories ha- are going to have done so many other great things within the world of off-road that we could kind of like get some like good history lessons with. Um, what are your What are your thoughts Thoughts there? I, you know. The guy, there's a guy that works with us at Racer Productions. He, he was our sweep guy for, God, a long time, and he kind of stepped away from the sweep thing. And he's still one. He's still like our, basically like a MacGyver mechanic. He can fix anything and doesn't need anything to do it. And that's that's Tommy Harris. And Tommy is probably one of the most badass dudes I've ever known. Actually, I'd probably put him as the most badass dude I've ever known. And, you know, he raced it, I think he started like the second or third year, and he raced it all the way until the end. Whoa. And uh, he was actually the amateur National Hair Scramble champion one year, so he's pretty pretty solid, and he shows up in some of the videos and stuff, but that guy probably knows more about that area and more about the race itself than probably anybody. Oh, yeah. I like that. That'd be great, man. So you're going to have to reach out to him and tell him that I want to have him on the show. Because I've been having fun doing this kind of history lesson stuff. Like really like getting to know more about some of the people in the sport or the events that have really you know, created such iconic names for themselves. Um, of, of no you know, chance except for the fact that they just created epicness. Which is what the Blackwater 100 did, you know. Let's go make a tough race. Okay, cool. And it just became something where everyone wanted to either a ride or b go watch. Um, so yeah, and so I, I think it'll be fun to kind of keep going down this path. So um, yeah, I don't know. What did you think of the Destry Abbott one? Did you get a chance to listen to that and hear a little bit about his kind of like start and how he kind of got into riding and everything? Yeah, it, it was one of those deals where I started listening to it and then I got stuck doing something else but what i heard was absolutely awesome you know and i I don't like know destry really really well but you know i've had some online conversations with him here and there and he's just such a cool guy and i've I've always really like he's always been one of those guys even though he's a west coast guy and i don't know a lot of the west coast guys he's always been one of those dudes that i've really thought was just not just a good racer but just really just a good ambassador to the sport too he's just a really awesome guy he is, and that's the way that I put it too. I, I, you know, the word ambassador really, 
You know, because you don't, he's not just a racer. He's so much more than that. And I think that those are the kind of people that I want to talk to that really, that really would, would ring true for the way that I want to kind of cover some of these people is is like a Tommy Harris, right? Like people like myself who didn't grow up racing GNCC or didn't grow up on the East Coast. I don't know that name, but in the long run, I, I want to talk to people that other people know that when they go Tommy Harris, oh my God, yeah, like Tommy Harris is somebody you need to talk to because more people in off road need to know about people like Tommy Harris, um, and so that's kind of like what I want to do. I want to dig in a little bit more to learn more about these people around the country and the world. You know, whatever you know, who knows where they're living these days, right? Because um, it, it's so much bigger than just our our little local regional area. Um, for the people that are great ambassadors for the sport of, of off-road racing dirt bikes, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, another one that comes to mind is obviously Jeff Russell. I mean, Jeff Jeff's not just today's GNCC trail boss and all-around, like, badass dozer operator and doer of everything. But, you know, Jeff was not just, not just a 91 national enduro champion, but... You know, he was pretty successful at Blackwater, too. I think he got – he never won, but he got second one year and actually even won a, a class championship in GNCC one season. Jeff was really solid racer on top of also just doing so much for this sport behind the scenes and so much that people don't even know about. Right. No, that's awesome. And it's kind of one of those situations where – it's tough for us not to know right now that he was, you know, an enduro champion, right? Because that was part of Caleb Russell's uh, steam behind why he really wanted to to continue pursuing that national enduro title that he got a couple years ago was that that way him and his dad could kind of, you know, have that together, um, which is pretty awesome that they were able to both both of them able to do that. Um, but yeah, uh, so what about John Ayers? What do you think there? You think he would be? So, so oh, talk, absolutely! A like, talkative man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John's another guy that he's he's done so much in this sport. From obviously being a racer, and then he was an announcer for many years with GNCC, and then the Moto T's thing. Uh, actually, you know, it's not just Moto T's there. They, they've got gear gear race where they make all of you know they make a bunch of the team shirts and that kind of stuff, and then they've got gear custom products where they make. All those banners and everything you see at the, not just GNCC, but also Pro Motocross, Supercross. You know, he's really, really an interesting guy. And, and on top of all this, he goes to every round of Pro Motocross, and he's kind of almost like this middleman between the riders and the people working on the track. So the the guy's super, super interesting. Yeah, that is. You know what's weird is, remember when I came to Loretta Lynn's? Was that 2012 maybe? Yeah, yep. And we were doing the the awesomeness competition, and we had the rowers going, and everybody's changing tires and stuff, and trying to find winners, giving away awards and all that stuff. And after we got done with that, as we were wrapping up, John John Ayers comes up to me, and he's like, "Hey, who are you?" And I'm like, "I I, I could tell he was the way he held himself that he was someone of importance, right? Like, but I didn't know who he was, and in Having met you know people like Jin Kenyon and and uh, and, and uh, Coombses and and uh, what was the Cot uh, Cotrell, but of all the people I had met, he wasn't one of them. I could just kind of tell the way he held himself, and I was just like, "Well, I'm Brian Pierce. This, that, the other. We got the okay to do this." Like I already kind of thought that we were in trouble. He's just like, "No, no. Here's my card." 
you're doing a really good job with that microphone. I want you to reach out to me. I was like, oh my God, this is the weirdest thing ever. And it was interesting. It's because like, that's what got me back the next year when you, when GNCC started doing the webcast and at Loretta Lynn's the next year, he's the one who put me in front of the Coombses to say, no, let's just have him help because he's really good with the mic. I was like, thanks buddy. Appreciate that. Like it was yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, like not to give away like company secrets or anything like that, but it's like, I remember talking about that afterwards and it's like the, the only reason that we didn't have you come do more was just because you live in Texas. It's just a travel thing. You know, it just doesn't work logistically for like, it doesn't work for you either. Really. You know, <laughs> it I is, mean, it would be a work, hole. You know, and everything, <laughs> but, but it's like, that's really, that was like the only holding back from having you come do more. It was fun, and that's what was great. I'm so glad that in 14, when I was able to make it to Big Buck with Steven, and we were doing the KR4 Arrive and Ride program, that, you know, Kenyon and, and Rodney and everybody were very gracious to allow me to come, you know, have 10 minutes and 15 minutes to talk. You know, it was great because that's, I guess, like, uh, I'm just an enthusiast, right? Like, I, I like to talk to the riders, and I like to find out what's going on and how things are, you know, how they're meshing with whatever it is going on. Things are positive. Things are negative. <clears throat> And it was interesting to be able to just, the way that I ask questions and the way that I talk to them is different than everybody else. So when they're able, when, when everybody doing those webcasts are able to bring in different personalities on a regular basis, I think it's good because it kind of changes it up. You know, the, the, the perspectives change at that point, which always allows it to kind of feel a little different. So I'm glad that I was very, very uh, excited that they allowed me to do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you you hit the nail on the head. It is good to mix things up and have some different, not just different personalities, but even just a different voice in there. You know, it nothing against the guys that do it on the regular. You know, they're fantastic at what they do, but it's like sometimes it gets old hearing the same two or three guys. So it's cool to have somebody extra in there. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, um, I appreciate the time, and obviously, we or, and it's not that I know that you and I could talk forever and kind of that. It's like up until we find a groove, right, until we know that there is a, either a time that we feel like we need to hit or that people would rather prefer us to find. We're kind of trying to hit that 30 to 45 minutes of, of, of great off-road content every other week for everybody. But what else? What do you got, man? Is there anything other off-road kind of quick discussions that you want to have before we let you go? It could be continuous of Blackwater 100 research and fun findings that you've done, or it could just be the fact that you just like got a chance to ride and saw something cool. Well, you know, I, I could go on for days about any of that, but it's like what what what's cool about – well, I don't know if it's really all that cool, but uh, – It is because we're on a podcast, and that's going to make well, it cool. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> – these days, when you when you go back to when you go back to Davis and you see where Blackwater was, it it's almost it's kind of interesting to me to to look around, and you really can't tell that there was ever anything there. You know, they <clears throat> a lot of it's still uh, a lot of it's mountain bike trail these days to a, to a certain extent, but then a lot of it's also like a national wildlife refuge now. So it's kind of interesting to to see that. Well, granted, it's been you know what 24 years since it was yeah 93 so yeah, yeah about right. so it's kind of interesting you know granted it's been a long time but there's no remnants of any sort of course of any sort except for there's like one there's one or two little places 
where if you look just right and you know where to look, you kind of look and you think, ah, now I kind of see it. But other than if you, if you didn't know to look for that, you'd never know. Right. And, and somebody like yourself or, or even like myself, like if I'm there in that historic spot, I'm looking, right? Like I, and, and to your point, like we know what to look for. We kind of we've seen trails evolve throughout the years, right? We've we've helped put them in, and we've helped you know with erosion after the twenty years of them being beaten in, um, and so we kind of know how to look for that. But to your innocent bystander, you know they're not going to see what could be a grown-in you know rut and be like ah fucking dirt bikers, you know what I mean? Like yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and so now for me, uh, since I've gone and bought a mountain bike, <laughs> and and committing to making myself not so out of shape. My next goal is to. Uh, Let's say up. this: you don't want to be in such such a round of shape because you know I think your shape is fine. You just want to yeah. change your shape. Yeah, exactly. Get a little more, uh, have a little more endurance. But the ultimate goal is to get to the point where I can ride in Davis, and I want to get to the old Moon Rocks. That's uh, it's a good. It's a. It's not terribly far up off the. Uh, gravel road that runs through the place but it's far enough in there that you don't really want to walk it <laughs> <laughs> oh but you need to mountain bike to it is what you're saying yeah i mean okay. it, it, that's just more fun because you're you know you're riding the next best thing to a dirt bike i guess i would agree you should get a one of those uh e-bikes one of those pedal assist bikes oh my god i'd love to but you know that's out of my price range i hear that but you've got all the all the connections broski yeah, yeah, I don't have that kind of connection. <laughs> I like it. Well, dude, obviously we appreciate the time. We appreciate you being excited about the Blackwater 100. Um, uh, what we're going to do is when we post up this, uh, this, you know, maybe what would be great is if you could, on your channels, you know, share some of your, your pictures and your stories of going back to Davis, right? You know, and, and then getting a chance to kind of rehash a little bit about that, you know, on this podcast, you know, when, when you do share that. So that way we get a little bit of the, the, you know, I guess the new history. I don't really know the, the more relevant aspects of what has been going on in Davis versus just all the stuff that we've kind of been talking about dirt bike wise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, absolutely. And you know what? I, I want to make it back to Davis again, not just for the mountain bike thing, but actually I've been looking at some maps and I want to get out on this one, I want to take the dual sport back down and not just ride some of the awesome dual sport stuff down there, but there's an, also another road. It's, it's actually a dead end pretty much. Uh, it's when you look at it on a map, the roads will tell you it connects, but it, it doesn't. <laughs> That's <laughs> kind of typical of West Virginia. Right. But, uh, I really want to get down there cause it's actually super, super close to like the furthest point out of the old Blackwater course. Oh. So, with a little bit of walking, you know, you can you can kind of see some of the old bogs and that kind of stuff. So that's that's the next little more realistic goal before mountain biking to Moon Rocks. Uh, well, when you get to Moon Rocks, you just take pictures and let us know how cool it is. Oh yeah, I mean, it's I'm sure it's awesome. <laughs> well, you'll get there eventually, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be two years, but I'll get there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's make it one. Okay. We got to set a goal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good with that. All right, I like it. Well, dude, obviously we appreciate the time. I'm going to hit the stop record button, but you don't go anywhere, okay? Got it. Oh, man. 
I hope you enjoyed the conversation between Mr. Jared Bolton and myself. We came up with quite a few guest ideas. If any of those rung out to you, please reach out to us and let us know which ones you would like us to try to reach out to and get on the show for another History Lesson podcast. Maybe you've got your own guest in mind that you think in the off-road world of greatness that we would spend a good 30-45 minutes talking to about amazing stories of off-roadness. Please reach out to us. We're on the Facebooks, we're on the Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on all those places. You use any of those to reach out to us. If you wanted to support us like some of our patrons do on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash seat time and become a patron there. So I just wanted to say thank you very much to Mr. Richard Lassiter, Aaron Cole, Dirt Buzz, Adam Iglesias, Stephen Rice, Brandon Rusher, and Adam Doherty for being our current patrons. You guys are awesome and we really, really appreciate your support. You can as well go to seattime.co slash support and there are a couple banner links that you can use there for affiliate links or purchase one of our t-shirts at fpmg.threadless.com. Again, thinking about making more stickers, what would you guys think about that? Let me know. We've got great t-shirt designs in the works. We've got great t-shirt designs from the past. Any of those would make awesome stickers. So let us know. After that, remember to always enjoy a pint full of awesome, and I guess we'll see you guys on the internet.